This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexil series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is the Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, there's a lot of people who have tech ideas and they see the glitz and glam of Silicon Valley billionaires, right? However, far too often, People fail to realize that their idea, there's the idea and then there's the business of the idea, which is why today's guest is going to help us navigate those waters. He is an award winning serial entrepreneur, angel investor, Forbes author and keynote speaker. He is also the founder and CEO of Boss Capital, which is a boutique investment firm focused on series C through series B technology businesses. He is also the author of Meet the Boss, the agile playbook for startups. He is the boss man himself, Greg Shepard. Big boss Greg. What's up, man? <laughs> wow, what an intro, man. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. No and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the startup nation today? Because we can definitely use your help, my man. I'm gonna drop it. All right. For sure. So first things first, man. Like share your origin story with us a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah. So my, actually, so my mom was a nun, my dad was a priest and they wanted to take care of kids okay. and they couldn't do, do that in the church. So they left the church and then they adopted and fostered a bunch of kids. Right. Mm. Um, so I grew up pretty poor. Well, I mean, you know, like we were, we were, I, I think by today's standards, we would absolutely be considered poor. So gotcha. my goal was to try to figure out how to uh, be successful. Mm. I also have autism and, um, dyslexia and processing disorder. So it was gotcha. especially hard for me. For sure. Um, so, you know, when I was younger, I was selling Rubik's cubes and, you know, I was trying to hustle everything I could hustle to try to make money. And then, um, I started businesses and I started my first real business. I think I was about 19. Um, and then I've done 12 of my own businesses where I started them and exited them, uh, over the last 25 years. And then, uh, 14 total exits, uh, to this year already. Very nice. Um, and so I've got, you know, hundred percent of the things that I've invested in or started up have exited. Mm -hmm. And in that process, I won those four private equity wars for transactions between 250 and a billion. Um, then, you know, I, uh, got the book deal with, uh, Forbes, right. uh, you know, I mean, I've written a hundred articles for 29 publications. I've been on the news, you know, whatever. You get the idea. I don't, right. I, you know. <laughs> no, I got you. No, you're, 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 you're pretty accomplished, man. I'm not even going to lie. For sure. Thanks. For sure. No, for sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you this, man, really quickly, because you kind of brought it up a little bit, because we always hear about, you know, uh, when you start up a company, right? You know, you have to think about if you're like the stayer or the exeter, right? You know, so mm -hmm. I, I'm curious about like, you know, when you go into those investments or those startups or whatever, do, do you already have that idea for exiting? Is it a situation where you plan on staying and, and then you know what? The opportunity presents itself where, you know what, we probably should exit. Kind of walk me through that thought process, if you don't mind, Greg. 
Yeah. I mean, I, so if you're taking money from investors, you're exiting, right? right? Cause right. they don't get their money back and their profit unless you do. So that's one thing. And fair enough. Um, in the beginning, I didn't take capital from investors, but my plan was always to exit because gotcha. if you're building a lifestyle business, you get the, it, it's a lot harder to build wealth by getting month to month money. Uh, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier when you get a whole bunch of money at one time. Gotcha. So my concept was because, you know, essentially money makes money. So if you're making enough to live on month over month over month, you're essentially burning up your ability to make money on your money. Mm. So if you do an exit and you take cash off the table, then you have the ability to get a bunch of money at one time and then you can start deploying it in different ways to build uh, wealth that way. So in the beginning, when I was starting, that was my plan. And so uh, since then, you know, I have developed this thing called BOSS, which stands for the Business Operating Support System. That's why right. uh, that that's what that is, and mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's essentially a, a algorithmic process that I put together to help entrepreneurs succeed. Because my goal is to help with wealth distribution by helping entrepreneurs succeed. Because that's the way that I can. Right. That's what I can contribute. So over twenty five years and twelve hundred interviews and you know, 14 exits and all these awards and everything the whole time I've been studying to nail down, you know, a, an actual way to start building solid business in three years with two to five X to investors, which includes the founder. Mm. And that's, so yes, everything I start starts with the North star gotcha. and the North star is, is ready, aim, fire instead of ready, fire aim. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. You know, Greg, you come off as quite the analytical conscientious, you know, uh, thinker when it comes to business. Do you find that that's kind of an advantage in your opinion? I think, you know, I think now I used to think that doing a startup was an art, but it's not, it's a science. Mm, the concept, right. the vision is an art. Right. So the ability to find a problem, figure out how to solve the problem, go through ideation, all of that, the visionary part is an art, right? That's something that people have or don't have. But what you do from that point on is actually a science. Fair enough. You know, so it's the it's they're all little processes, things that you have to execute. Everything's driven on KPIs and the ultimate KPI, the which are lagging indicators, meaning by the time the numbers hit, there's there's nothing you can do about it, are the financials. Mm. And the leading KPIs are the things that pivoted those financials. So once financials hit, basically in, in most of the time, there's six, whatever triggered those financials to change started six months earlier. So if you run your business based on the financial drivers, then it's like driving your car, looking at the rear view mirror, mm, right? right. <clears throat> so you have to drive your car by looking in front of you and learning from what's behind you, but you don't drive looking at what's behind you, which means you have to drive looking at leading indicators that pivot lagging indicators. That's an example of the science that I'm talking about. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, quick sidebar, Greg. I, I know your book is not quite out yet. I think I've seen somewhere where it's, it's slated to come out in 2021, first quarter 2021. Is that still on page? Yeah. Okay. So COVID delayed it. Gotcha. So, I figured as yeah. much. Okay. So yeah. really quickly, do you want this episode to come out the the day the book uh, comes out? Because I do ha I have a relationship with uh, Nick uh, Demio over there at Forbes and, and I've been working with him and stuff like that. So I can, I can, coordinate that to where this episode comes out the same day of the book or we can do it before then it's totally no we'll do a separate one okay okay yeah we can do a separate one because that what i'm doing is i'm trying to i, I want to help i mean the whole reason why i'm doing this is to help entrepreneurs right because sure. okay. i really like dude when you build a business and you sell the business money moves to that entrepreneur who nice. raised capital because they don't have money gotcha right and then all the people that work there get paid right distributions and right. options and stuff so it's like you know, my passion, that's why I'm doing this. Okay. I, I'm, I don't need any more money. I, I just want to help. I got you. Okay. I just wanted to make sure, <laughs> like, look, I, look, I interview a lot of people. A lot of people have books. They wanted to come out the same day. So just wanted to make sure, uh, wanted to be on the same page. And it also kind of, uh, directs how I say things. Cause usually I'll say that book is out today, you know, so, I uh, make, yeah, well, so. we'll do, you're going to get contacted when the book is is actually when we have an actual date or okay. when it's published and then we'll do one and i'm going to give them away i'm going to give shit tons of them away for free sounds good sounds so good. 
Yeah. Okay, cool deal. I appreciate that. I appreciate that for sure. So yeah, you know, thank you. No, no worries. No worries. <laughs> uh, so Greg, I want to ask you this. You know, you talked about the boss system, business operating support system. Kind of dive deeper into that a little bit. Kind of share with us, you know, how it works and how it benefits uh, entrepreneurs. Sure. So when you look at a business, there's there's five stages in a business. There's levels of business, and I don't we don't have time to go into all of them, but sure. You can start out with level one, which is basically being reactive instead of proactive. And then when it comes to funding, the first one is pre-seed and the second one is, you know, seed. And then there's series seed, A, B. So there's five of those, right? And then there are five levels of the business. So you have ideation and you're trying to come up with the idea and figure it out. You have proof of concept. You have validation, which is the company is now validated. You have a customer paying for it and it's validated. Right. And then you go into growth and then you go into scale, right? So there's five there. So there's all these different things. There's five levels of boss, Mm -hmm. the North Star, strategy, execution, standardization, and continuous improvement, Kaizen, right? So when you build a business, you have to start with the end in mind, meaning when when people build a product, they have a customer, right? They have a problem that a customer has, and they build a a, a product to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. When you look at selling your business, Businesses buy other businesses the same reason why customers buy products to either make or save money. And so once you identify that the business that's going to acquire a business is there to to make money, which is the majority of the time, and that is a strategic. And strategics are strategics because they have already acquired, let's say, 10,000 customers. So they've already absorbed the customer acquisition cost to acquire those. Their ability to scale is the CAC to to LTV. So the customer acquisition cost to the lifetime value equals Mm -hmm. a number. And it's basically like the return on ad spend or return on investment or whatever the industry you're in. So how do they increase the customer acquisition to lifetime value number? Well, they have to grow the lifetime value, right? That's how they do it. So because they've already acquired the customers. So how do they grow lifetime value? by buying another product to sell to their customers. So if you want to be that product, which is going to give you the largest multiple, then you have to start by figuring out who's going to buy your product just like, or or your business, just like you start with who's going to buy your product. Gotcha. Then you make sure that your ICP, your customer acquisition, I'm sorry, your ideal customer profile and the, the acquirer's ideal customer profile are the same because you can't build your business five years later and then say, oh, I want you to buy my business and they go, okay, let's see if your if your my customers that I've already paid for that I want to get a greater lifetime value out of will buy your product. You can't just do that at last minute. You have to do it from the very beginning. Hmm. Gotcha. So your strategy at the very beginning includes making sure that there are parallel in ICP acquisitions as you go. Otherwise, those customers that fall out of ICP won't even be considered. So if you're at the beginning, raising capital to build your business and you're building your business by acquiring customers and those customers aren't in ICP for your acquirer. Essentially, you've just burned a bunch of capital, taken a bunch of dilution, all for naught. So <clears throat> the North Star is the most important part. And that is, what is your business? What is your product? Why should somebody buy your business? Why should somebody buy your product? Who should buy your business? Who should buy your product? When are you going to sell your business and how much do you plan on selling it for? Right. All of these things are really critical, especially the when and how much. When is how long are you going to burn cash? How much tells you how much your business should be worth at the end so you don't overprice your deal when you're raising capital in the beginning. So one of the things that I see all the time is a company comes in, they say, oh, I'm going to start my valuation really high. And there's a lot of reasons why they do that. That's an entirely different conversation. Right. But they'll say, I'm going to start my, my business at a $10 million valuation. I'm raising 5 million. So they're thinking now it's 15, but the investors want to take off the table two to five X. So at a minimum, you're already looking at a $30 million business. You have three years to go. So you've already overpriced your business, Mm. which is going to make the next round and the round after that incrementally more difficult. And in order to get to the higher valuation, you have to raise capital, which then raises your, and you get caught in this loop. Right. And so there are five main reasons why businesses fail. And the majority of those reasons happen with when they start their business at the beginning. And the North Star is supposed to mitigate that stuff. So it sets them up for success, leaving only planning and execution and optimization. Gotcha. Let me ask you this quick follow up. How do you crystallize 
that North star? Like, what does that look like? Because, you know, because, you know, because like people, like you said, like people overprice their companies and and stuff like that all the time. And then right then from the beginning, you're already kind of not necessarily leading from behind, but you've kind of not necessarily setting yourself up for success. Yeah. You, you start out, I mean, there's a sheet that I use. If you go to my website, there's, there's 60 second videos and templates and all kinds of stuff that you can get for free, uh, you know, that you can use for this and guidance. And we're starting an academy through a few universities um, to teach. I've been teaching at university. So now mm-hmm. it's going to be a formalized academy gotcha. that uh, businesses can go to, but that's, that gives you the details. But essentially what you're trying to do is you're going to try to say, what is my company? Like, you know, what is actually my company? And then what is my product? They're not the same thing. A lot of times entrepreneurs mix up their company with their product. The outcome of their company is the product and the outcome of the two of them is the exit, the valuation, mm, right? right? That's how the value, and there are value drivers. So do you think of value drivers as valuation drivers and those value, there's five valuation drivers. Okay. Gotcha. The first one is you need to understand how much your minimum uh, ARR is, so annual reoccurring revenue is, to see if you're even ready to be acquired. Like your acquirers will say, you have to be doing a minimum of $5 million a year, $2 million a year in annual reoccurring revenue. So that's the first one, just to qualify yourself to be acquired. Hmm. The things that pivot your multiple are growth, margin, and retention. So growth says that you, and the, all these three of these things are in ICP, meaning the right ICP, the right ideal customer profile that the buyer has also, the acquirer of your business. So growth says you can sell to the ICP and they'll buy it, okay? Mm-hmm. Retention says they'll keep paying you so it's sticky and they can count on the revenue and project the revenue out. Gotcha. And margin says you can do it at scale. And attachment rate is the fifth one. And the fifth one says these ICP customers will buy this product. So the, the buyer, the acquirer of your businesses, ideal customer profile acquires your product that shows attachment rate. That combination of things says you're ready to be acquired and you're already on the path to make that happen at high multiples. Now, <clears throat> the rumor is raise, you know, they're always like growth, growth, growth investors. You guys got to be very careful when you're talking to investors because most investors haven't been operators. They mm-hmm. don't know what it's like to operate a business. They're looking at numbers and investors can put their own investments out of business. And it happens all the time, right. VCs and stuff, right? Because they drive in the wrong direction because they're not operators and they count on 90% of them failing anyway. It's in their risk. So, but you can't have you fail, right? As an entrepreneur. So you need to be responsible for your own success. So it's way easier to increase your multiple than increase your revenue. Think about this, right? To take a multiple from three to four versus take your revenue from 1 million to 5 million right? It costs money, dilution, effort, there's scaling problems, all kinds of stuff that happens when you're trying to go from this number to that number. But if you increase the multiple, you essentially have the same result, meaning the exit amount, the liquidity event itself, the amount you get from the business is the only thing you focus on. So I start out by saying, look, how much do you want to sell your business for? And they're usually like a hundred million. I'm like, okay, all right. How much do you want to make yourself. And they're like 5 million. I'm like, okay, you don't need to sell for a hundred million. You you can sell for less than that. It's how you handle the process that determines how much you make. And you have to clock that as you go because you can get carried away with it. I tell people it's like, <clears throat> it's like a checkbook in the old days, you'd have a check register. Mm-hmm. And every time you wrote a check, you'd go in and say, take that check out. Now what's my balance, right? Same thing with your capitalization table, your equity, your stock, and the account. When you're raising cash, you're taking money out of your bank account. It means you have to either sell for more or you have to take less on. You get less at the liquidity event. So <clears throat> all of this stuff you plan for in the beginning. And it seems, and I always argue with uh, investors on panels and stuff about this because their perspective is different, right? But okay. if you're an entrepreneur, if you don't plan for this ahead of time, just think about how dumb that is, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to wait until a year before or right when I want to sell. And then I'm going to start planning for that. Like it's gotcha. too late by then. Right. It's, you know, so you have to do it from the very beginning all the way through to the exit so that you're ready to exit and you already know your numbers. Right. And I imagine that that part about knowing your numbers is super important. It makes me think about 
something we, we had a past guest on Marcy Harris and uh, she's the CEO of PopVox. And she talked about how, uh, you know, everybody when it comes to tech, everybody thinks they have to go out to Silicon Valley. You got to go to the valley to get, you know, investors and stuff like that, wherever the case may be. But she talked about how there's like this movement or this thing about, uh, you know, trying to understand and get, you know, startup founders to understand that it's uh, it's very important to focus on building, like, you know, generate revenue and, and, and cash flow and stuff like that on building as opposed to raising, raising money and stuff like that. What's your take on that? Because we see a lot of people who are like, I got to raise money, got to raise money and got to raise money. And then all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. So if you would talk about yeah. that a little bit. <clears throat> I think. I think that, you know, if you think about this in terms of like your your business Mm -hmm. and you're trying to choose whether you build, meaning increase revenue versus raise capital. Yes, of course, you want to try to uh, fund your own business. Right. But it's what is the definition of build? That, that's the question, right? Fair Are enough. you just recklessly raising capital by selling customers that will buy your product? Or are you selling in ICP customers that will also buy the product of your acquirer? So gotcha. you don't just want to build revenue. You want to build the right revenue. That's right. critical. Right. Because if you don't, you're going to have retention problems, which is going to reduce your ability to get a good valuation or even mm-hmm. sell in the first place. And if you don't get, remember the five things I talked about, and if you don't go out and get the right ICP, it's going to reduce your attachment rate. And that's going to reduce your multiple because the acquirer is going to say, yeah, well, you know, only 50% of of our customers are going to buy your product. Therefore, you're going to give you a smaller multiple. So building is a very broad term. And this is the argument I have all the time. Like, oh, it's growth. It's growth. It's growth. No, it's not. It's multiple. Fair enough. Right. I mean, multiple comes from quality. And quality comes from growth, quality growth. Mm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. You know, you often talk about the startup maturity life cycle. Kind of break that down for us, if you don't mind, Greg. <clears throat> so the the life cycle is basically going from a, a, a point of where your business is in ideation. It's like a, it's growing up, right? Mm-hmm. It's a baby and it's trying to find its way. And then it's a teenager and it's you know, reckless and crashing into things and, you know, <laughs> you know, fucking up all over the place. Right? right. And then it becomes a young adult and it's going to school and it's semi-independent and then it becomes an adult and it's still learning lessons and then it becomes a mature adult and it's set and ready to go. That's like the maturity life cycle. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand where you are. So you know how to handle your business. That's stage appropriate. So the boss system handles this, right? Because what I found out when I was learning about, when I was putting together boss, I studied all these operating systems like Six Sigma and OKRs and OGSM and Scrum and Kanban and just everything, right? Mm -hmm. And trying these out, it needs to be stage appropriate. And there was a lot of things missing like the North Star. But the levels of a business determines the maturity of the business. And the the company has, has to be certain has to be mature to a certain level in order to be acquirable by somebody else at a high valuation. So otherwise, you know, they're going to go into your business, they're going to look at things and they're going to start marking down the valuation or adjustments to different areas of the, of the liquidity event uh, uh, cap table, whatever it is that, that they're using to process that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it starts eating away, right? Because they're like, oh, I don't know how to run your business. There isn't a synergy here. We have to do integrations. Um, you know, your retention numbers are low. Um, you know, we only fit only 50% of your customers fit ICP. Uh, you know, it goes on and on. Right. Right. And they try to disqualify different areas of your business to reduce the amount of money that they're paying for it. So, you know, this process is, is really critical and the revenue that they're buying, if they're buying their, your company for your revenue, which is, you should not be the case because selling on EBITDA and selling on top line are two different things. Somebody selling on EBITDA is trying to add to their profit and loss. Somebody buying on, uh, you know, top line is trying to enhance their uh, balance sheet. So they're buying either for balance sheet or for P&L, profit and loss. So mm-hmm. when you do that and you understand that you find the right acquirer, that acquirer is going to give you higher multiples because they see the synergy of your product and their customers. So 
revenue is a key to that. So just growth, no. Quality growth defined by what I said, yes. Gotcha. But growing at a at a rate where the company can handle the growth is key too, because you can put yourself out of business by growing. You have to understand your contact to contract cycle time, your contract to active cycle time, and your active to revenue cycle times. Because there's latency from the point you sign a contract to the point you get the money. And then there's latency from the point you hire a salesperson to the, par- the to the point where they actually start booking sales. That latency can be a year in a lot of businesses. So, you know, planning for growth means planning for that. Now, what's the end of that? Now you have all these customers, service delivery. They're going to impact it. If that doesn't work out right, then you have retention problems, which is one of the five drivers. So planning out your growth strategy and using the top line numbers to make sure that you're getting quality growth, it's not as simple as growth. Anybody that says that is old school. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And we want to shift gears here before we do do a quick reset. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Greg Shepard, the give me just a second, the founder and CEO of Boss Capital uh, Partners. If you go to Greg Shepard, Greg Shepard.com, Gregory Shepard.com. Sorry about yeah, that. Gregory Shepard.com. Yeah, Gregory Shepard.com. We have a link there in the show notes. Uh, Startup Nation, if you listen to the replay on the podcast, you can get some of these, uh, you know, these tools and these and this knowledge that he's talking about, uh, you know, for sure. I'm actually on there right now and I'm actually looking at a video where you're talking about student uh, entrepreneurship because I know we've been seeing this in um, universities where more and more universities are kind of uh, offering those entrepreneurial type classes and stuff like that, as opposed to just straight up business classes, you know, so what's your take on student entrepreneurship? If you don't mind me asking. I think that student entrepreneurship is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how many people go to school forever, get out of school and can't find a job, right? These guys and gals go to school to find, to, to learn how to create a job, mm-hmm. not just for themselves, for other people. Right. I mean, traditionally, the United States leads the way. My problem is that 90% of them fail, and I don't want that to happen. That's what I'm trying to solve with the business operating sports system, right? It's trying to increase the number of entrepreneurs that succeed because we're a country of incubating opportunity. We need to figure out how to turn that opportunity or vision into executable results. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And so it made me think about something I saw uh, in our prep. You've coined this phrase uh, altruistic uh, capitalism. We know the word capitalism, you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, it could be a dirty word, it could be a nice word. So kind of talk <laughs> yeah. about, you know, your your uh, viewpoint when it comes to altruistic uh, capitalism. Because when you talk, I about- think that there is a path to use the motivation of uh, the motivation of capitalism. OK, right. For altruistic purposes. Mm-hmm. So as an example, I have a fund, right? I have a, a syndicate and we fund businesses to get going. And when that business sells, the entrepreneur makes money and so does the investors. And the entrepreneur gets pulled out of a inconvenient financial situation to a completely different financial situation. Mm-hmm. And that is altruistic capitalism. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. Okay, Startup Nation, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Tresta. Tresta is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere. I know so many entrepreneurs that are still using their their personal phone number for business calls. It can get complicated drawing the line between your personal and professional life. Startup Nation, this is the best business phone app out there. Whether you just need a business phone number or if your team is ready for a complete business phone system, Tresta is totally flexible and can grow with your business. And it's all unlimited. Calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself, all online. 
avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system, which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more efficiently with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash startup life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A dot com forward slash startup life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. For sure. For sure. Because it made me think about that when you were talking about like uh, student entrepreneurs are not just only looking to uh, build a great business, you know, but they're also looking to make, create jobs for other people. And I think uh, in this day and age, that's always I mean, you know, creating jobs is always a good thing. I can't really see why it would be a bad thing. But to have that mindset uh, at the student level, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's it's not uh you don't know. I'm not going to say you don't always see that, but it is kind of reassuring to kind of hear that uh, this generation is thinking of more than just, you know, uh, the bottom line and profit margins and stuff like that. What do you what's your take on this? This generation's uh, take on not just, you know, altruistic uh, capitalism and stuff like that, but also how they kind of dive into social issues and they're trying to affect change, even though they're not necessarily in you know political roles and stuff like that. What's your take on this year, uh, this generation of social changes, changers? I think it's awesome. Uh-huh. I mean, I think that the the evolution of humanity has been going the right direction, um, generally speaking, with the exception of this trump situation i think that you know the the situation has been evolving in the in the in the direction it should go generally speaking meaning even with this situation that's going on right now you have it's still better than it was 50 years ago right it's not going at the speed we want it to unfortunately some humans can't handle progress that fast but you know it's going in the direction generally if you put it in a line graph and you list out a whole bunch of things that were pretty rough socially. And then you, you say, you know, what, you know, have we seen improvement and what percentage, you know, are we to complete resolution on these issues? Right. It's trending the right, it's just going really slow. Mm. Um, but it's trending the right way. And the biggest spike, uh, happened, uh, you know, with, with Gen Z, right. Where they started to say, listen, I care more about, you know, our, globe and the progress of humanity and the environment and the everything that lives on the planet right i do making an extra 10 grand a month or than i do getting a, a nicer car and this is just beautiful you know it's just i you know i think that the newer generations are are incredible and you know the even to the point that you know you have the student entrepreneurship that shows that there is such a demand by this generation that the universities had to respond. Right, right. No, we're seeing uh, there was a, a, a study done not too long ago where uh, when it came to millennials, 32 percent of them see themselves as uh, starting a business. But when you ask Gen Z, it's it climbs up to like 45, 46 percent. It's almost as if each uh, generation is more, becoming more entrepreneurial than the previous one. Uh, so I wanted to kind of uh, get your take on that. And, you know, Startup Nation, we're actually talking to uh, Greg on Zoom and, you know, he had his video up earlier. I think it actually might still be up now. Uh, but, you know, I saw that you had like, you know, a, a Black Lives Matter kind of uh, you know uh, art on your wall and you have a hat and stuff like that. I want to ask you this in this you know day and age of social uh, unrest and social change and, and social uh, activism, if you will. You know, we've been seeing a lot of companies, a lot of people kind of take a stance, you know, on either side, uh, believe it or not. But, you know, I, I guess I'm curious, you know, to those who are n- not sure, you know, no matter what side they're on or whatever the case may be, when they decide to take a stand with their business, you know, what kind of a, uh, advice would you give them? Because they're not sure if they should do it, should not do it. Uh, what's your advice would you give them? Yeah, I think first of all is the understanding that this is not political, right? This is, this isn't a political thing. This isn't a right thing or a left thing. Anybody that turns it into a political thing is needs to to question their own moral compass because this is a human human thing, right? Right. Right. You know, these are everybody, you know, what, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the discretionary is or the, 
you know, racism or, you know, I mean, you have the gay people and then you had the Mexicans and the Arabian people and the black people have been on that compass forever, unfortunately. Right. right. And you have to set back and say, look, this isn't, this is a moral thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if those people that believe in God, I mean, would Jesus be sitting here saying, oh yeah, this is cool. Right. I mean, come on. Right. right. Like, so this is a moral thing, not a political thing to start out with. And on that basis, as a business, would you be saying, oh yeah, shootings are okay. Right. right. It's shooting anybody, uh, 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 somebody because they're a Muslim, you know, beating up a gay person, mm-hmm. shooting a, a black person. You know, it, it doesn't. It, these are human beings. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just to me so ridiculous that there's even a conversation about this. Right. It's, it's just insanity, you know. Um, so I think that if you're a business, you should be saying, look, this is not OK with me because we are a moral business. This is not a political topic. Got you. Understood. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. And, you know, with even with, you know, this social unrest and stuff like that, we're actually going through a pandemic as well. I think sometimes we forget uh, about one or the other when we are addressing one of those things. It's like like a dumpster fire, right? This is ridiculous. You know, know, honestly, when it got to fire NATOs, I was done. At that point, I was like, man, look, I. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Once I start seeing that, it's like, man, are you serious right now? Like, that's what we're doing? Because like, it, it instantly made me think of Sharknado. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but that's neither here nor there. But I wanted to ask you this, because as we're in this pandemic and we're, we're social distancing and we're, we're masking up and stuff like that or whatever we're trying to do. But a lot of us aren't really interacting with a lot of people. So there's one company that comes to mind. Uh, when it comes to this era, and that's Zoom. And so Zoom has, you know, uh, quadrupled uh, its revenue from last year. It went from a $9 billion company to a $130 billion uh, company as of this recording, all in a matter of 16 months. Uh, but at that same time, with this kind of meteoric me- meteoric growth, it exposed some, uh, some, uh, some vulnerabilities. A lot of times people are, are like hacking uh, Zoom meetings and, uh, you know, were they doing this whole thing, Zoom bombing and stuff like that? I say all of that, Gregory, to ask you this, you know, what are some of those lessons that a, a tech company or a startup founder or just anybody who's thinking about starting a company can learn uh, from a Zoom, uh, even though they're having this wild success, but it still has some vulnerabilities. In your opinion, what are some things a startup founder can learn from this story? Well, one of the things that, that I do with my portfolio companies is I do what's called war gaming. Okay. Right? And so the military does this process where they basically try to play a game that determines what could happen in the future. Gotcha. And anybody that had done war gaming uh, in the past would have missed this one because this is like, what the hell? But right. really, the if you watch Bill Gates' documentary and everything else, it was like, inevitable right right because we've had calls close calls before with swine flu and bird flu and uh, ebola and you know it's just like what i mean it's a matter of time right? right so if you had war game that out and planned for this this would be a huge opportunity in a market like this right you have bull markets and you have bear markets right so bull market is an aggressive market a bear market is elite, a little what you see is you see that in a bear market people pull back coil back and they start trying to save money so if you look at businesses, like I said earlier, that save money and businesses that make money, businesses that make money are bull market businesses and businesses that save money are bear market businesses. So if you have a bull market business, you need to change your narrative. So it looks like a bear market business, AKA saving other companies money. So we have companies in our portfolio and we just went to them and said, all right, let's change our demand generation, all our messaging and our narrative around this you know, uh, businesses that are appropriate for the stage that the country is in or the economy is in right now. Right. And to the other point with regards to, you know, COVID mm-hmm. in world war two, 116, 516,000 people died Americans. Okay. Mm-hmm. In world war, that was world war one, world war two, 405,333 people died Americans. Mm-hmm. Right. In Vietnam, 282 died. That was U S and all of the allied people. Right. The Iraq war was 4,424 people, and in Afghanistan, 2,372,000 Americans died. And as of now, COVID has killed 184,083 people. Right. All right. So this is the only war that 
that has killed more people than this is the Vietnam War and or sorry, not the Vietnam War, the World War Two. Right. right. Which is the the war of all wars. Right. And they're saying that 200,000 people will die by the end of the year. So not only is that an opportunity, but it certainly should be a message for those people who think this isn't real. Mm, <laughs> Just right. as an American, yeah, sure. we are fighting a war that's killing people. Right. That didn't volunteer. So let's pay attention to that. Right. For sure. For <laughs> sure. For sure. Now, I think about, you know, me and my wife, we were comparing that to uh, like, I think it's like 180,000, like you were saying earlier, uh, that that's comparable to a Tallahassee, Florida. That's comparable to like, you know, a lot of small town American towns. Like if you just took one town and just wiped it away, that's the equivalent of how many uh, have succumbed uh, to COVID, which is just mind boggling. To, yeah, it's like, to think wow, about, right? Yeah. Like, holy crap. Right, it, it and, is. And they're saying, like, before the end of the year, it's going to be over 200,000. Right, that's just bananas to think about, you know. And, and it's funny you mention that because I was, you know, uh, and this is kind of going back to, uh, you know, something we were saying earlier. And once again, Startup Nation, we are a political show, even though this is not a political issue. Is We're a political show, so I don't hope, you know, anybody can construe that. But there was an article not too long ago about President Bush reading a book about the swine flu this is 2005 and mm-hmm. and you know and it freaked him out he was at camp david you know taking some time off he's at camp david he's reading this book and he reads about the swine flu and he's like we got to do this we have to put implementations in place and if, if if this happens even if it doesn't happen on my watch this may become an issue uh later down the road and so you know it, it's funny how you know a lot of, and I remember at that time we we badmouth Bush quite a bit, quite a few of yeah. us. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so when you hear stories like that, you kind of like, huh? Didn't see that one coming. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So, so that's. I mean, dude, to your point, this is not a political show, but this right. is not a political matter, and right. this is a financial matter, right? Of so, of course, two hundred thousand people die. You got two hundred thousand people less contributing to the gross domestic product, mm-hmm. right? It, it, there are financial ramifications. The people that are sick can't work. The people that can't work, can't make money. They can't pay their bills. That right. means the people that own those properties that need that money, the rental income to pay their bills for the building that they own, Absolutely. can't pay those bills and so on and so forth. So this situation to me is not political. This is a, a an economic situation. So Absolutely. If, if people think about it, right, and they go, okay, I don't wear a mask and I have a party or I go out or whatever I do, right? And then I infect 20 people. Now, there's 20 people that can't make money. I mean, you can see the effect, right? And this right. thing is a is a pandemic because the way that they categorize a pandemic is not just the how easy it is to transfer from one person to another, but how deadly it is. So right. things like Ebola kill the host right away, so it's not as dangerous because it doesn't have a chance to spread because it kills the host right away. Right. This one doesn't kill the host right away. It doesn't even show up right away. So it's contagion as hell, but at the same time, it doesn't kill everybody, so it has the ability to transfer from person to person. This is actually danger, more dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, so sure. you know the the situation financially is like okay, everybody look at the situation, right? Let's make an adjustment to the way that we behave for a temporary period of time and put this thing out of business. Right. <laughs> you know, put this COVID thing out of business. In the meantime, it is springing up a lot of opportunities. To your point, Zoom, right? Right. I mean, Zoom was like ready to go. This hit them. They they didn't make this happen. They just this they caught a wave that was already coming. But there are a lot of things out there, educational software, conference software. There's a ton of, you know, everybody's the reason why Zoom is booming is because it was the only one ready to go when people are transitioning conferences and meetings and all this stuff over. Schools, everything. But I've been seeing, you know, tons and tons of new startups with all these entrepreneurs that are thinking of all these ideas on how to make life easier. Uh, and you know, with a more safe environment. So I think that there's a ton of opportunities. I mean, so think about this opportunities are problems, right? You, right. you, you find a problem, you found an opportunity, right? The harder the problem, the better the opportunity. You have to look at the, today's environment and say, holy shit, there are a lot of really good opportunities because there are a lot of really good problems. Absolutely. You know what Absolutely. I mean? <laughs> and a lot of those problems were already kind of there, but it's like COVID kind of unearthed them even more where they're, you know, they're exposed even more. Is that fair to say? Oh, totally. Like you, well, they're more important. They're more, of they're, course. Yeah. the problems are more, 
you, you know, they're more on the radar for sure. Right? For sure. If you went, if you went to people and said, Hey, we need to have, I'm coming up with a, a software that enables students to take school at home. It, it would be like, yeah, there's a lot of people, you know, starting to do homeschooling, but now whole right. different world. Exactly. Exactly. My, <laughs> no. my, my eight year old is downstairs right now doing her schoolwork because she's doing virtual schooling. So I definitely understand what you're talking about. So think about this, right? I just wrote an article for, uh, for a magazine. I can't tell you yet who it is, but I sure. wrote an article for a magazine. The basis was the whole work from anywhere, right? So think about work from anywhere, Twitter, Pinterest, all these guys are like, fine, work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Think about that just for one second. That means that the cities that these people were forced to work in in order to earn the revenue that they need to pay for that city no longer exists. Right. So if you're in the Silicon Valley and you work for one of these, you know, Facebook, you know, whoever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's, you know, all these internet guys are in San Francisco now. So you think about that and they're like, okay, they're making 200,000 a year. And now they can move back to their hometown, making 200,000 a year in a town where everybody's making 40. Think about the long-term effects of that. Those offices are emptying out, right? Those people are taking their money and moving to, to other towns, which means it's leaving those cities. Like there is a huge, huge ring after ring after ring. If you were to look at this as a drop in a pond and each one of those rings presents opportunities. And I'm telling you, Look at that behavior pattern and you will see opportunities everywhere it's, as an entrepreneur. It is funny you mention that because just the, the past two weeks as of this recording, we were we covered uh, 3686 here in Tennessee. Every year we have an entrepreneurship festival, 3686, where we bring in speakers and stuff like that. And due to COVID, it expanded from two days to two weeks because it was all over <laughs> Zoom or whatever case may be. But anyway, a, a uh, economics professor at Vanderbilt said exactly what you just said especially being being here in tennessee he said he anticipates that a lot of more people who work at the twitters or the facebooks may move back or or move to like rural areas right yeah because you know because like now you can just say well look i can work from home now i can do this now i can i can go live in a in a antioch uh tennessee i can go live in brownsville uh, Tennessee. And so there may be opportunities there, just like you said, uh, for a rural entrepreneur to kind of, you know, uh, have, you know, to kind of uh, 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 kind of capitalize on that opportunity. So no, he, he you, you're, you, yeah, you you're can buy a parking yeah. spot in New York City and you can buy a house outside New York City. Right. right so exactly. And, it, you know, so there that's going to change a lot of things right there. But then you have to add in the concept of, okay, well, what does that mean? That means collaboration that you usually do in the office space is not going to be there. Right. So how do we get coworkers to collaborate and get the benefits of that synergy, right? That's an opportunity. For sure. You know I mean? They're all over the place because Zoom doesn't serve that. Right. Zoom is, is the equivalent of a conference room. That's right. what it is. Right. Right. So you have to say, okay, well, what else do people need besides a conference room if they're all working together, but not together? Gotcha. It's huge opportunities. So to your point about the the thing with Zoom, Zoom was an indicator. So all Zoom was was a leading indicator selling everybody, hey, there's an opportunity. Take a closer look at this. Right. You know, right. For sure. Thank you for sharing all of that. And Startup Nation, we're actually wrapping up uh, with Greg Shepard here on the Startup Life. I want to ask you this, man, because you talked about this earlier. You talked about growing up. Uh, with uh, some uh, some disabilities, you know, autism and, and, and dyslexia. I know a little something about that. I'm pretty sure I'm on the spectrum somewhere. It just went undiagnosed. I know my son uh, is diagnosed with autism. So is my daughter as well. Let me ask you this, man, because I know a lot of times uh, when you have autism, you're able to like super focus on things, right? Do you think that, that like, you know, a lot of times people see things like a autism as like a detriment, but it honestly could have been your superpower when it comes to business. What's your take? It on is. That? Okay. It, yeah. The, we are not. Uh, we, I mean, Einstein was autistic. Right. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, right. Richard Branson. I mean, you could go on and on. Elon Musk. I mean, right. just name it. Right. Right. These people think in a different paradigm. So they see things that the other people don't see. And that is the magic. Right. Mm. And so we all have this to contribute. I did a TED talk on this actually uh, a couple months ago. Right. 
Um, but th- this is a, a magical thing. Now, there are some nuances that you have to deal with that are a little bit different than other people. Of course. And as you get older, it becomes easier and easier. But these people need to be incubated, not set aside. Mm. You know, you need to realize, OK, how do we get more Einstein's? What is on what is what is unique about Einstein? Right. Well, do we have other people like that? Well, we do. Well, then why are we throwing them into a trailer with a bunch of other people that and all combining them together and saying, here's a coloring book, just get out of my class. Right. Instead, why don't we take these people and say, let's find out what the magic is in this one. Absolutely. 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 That's actually what we're uh, starting to do with my 14 my year old, my oldest, uh, my son. He's we're trying to figure out what's the magic. Right. Like, I think right now it may be photography, but it may be something else later on. Like, we know he likes photography, baseball and the news. So we're trying to figure out where the magic is in that spectrum or maybe it's somewhere else. I don't know. But I'm glad you said that, because I think a lot of times, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to that, we like you said, we just like, you know, uh, OK, this is the label. Let's throw them over there. That's what they're going to be for the rest of their lives and not really trying to unearth those hidden talents and those hidden uh, abilities because I so you can see now too man you can see like microsoft and apple and all these places have special programs for autistic absolutely, people absolutely yeah for yeah. sure for sure no yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that for sure so before i ask the last question man i just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show we definitely talked about a uh a, 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 a quite a few things here uh but i'm pretty sure that startup nation got some definitely some good content and i definitely uh learned a lot from you as well but i'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you man because look we have a lot of people out there who's feeling discouraged feeling a little down give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today if you don't mind good sir sure i mean you know this too will pass mm. i mean you know Recessions happen every eight years when somebody's in a recession, they think it's going to go forever. Right. Right. I mean, this is a a, a virus and we have solved viruses in the past. The the evolution that we're making as a species to fight through this virus. Right. Is it going to benefit us for years and years? So this is an exercise that's similar to the exercise that you have as an entrepreneur. Every step that you fumble is still a step. So. You know, you can stand in one place to get from one place to another, or you can walk. And if you walk and you fall, you get up and you still made a step. Right. So progress is happening, whether it feels like it or not. For sure. For sure. Uh, and I have to point out, Startup Nation, that he uh, that Greg has Richard Branson and Steve Jobs there on his wall because I'm checking out the Zoom uh, for sure. Yeah. Check this out. I also have Elon Musk. And the crazy thing is my son, who is autistic, painted uh, these. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Those are pretty. Oh, that's dope. Oh, that's yeah. dope. Yeah. That's pretty dope. That's pretty dope. Yeah. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Gregory Shepard, thank you so much for coming on the show, my man. Thank you. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.